seven, Stan Phillips. Good morning, Met fans. How you doing on this Saturday? Well, we came home. We thought we would do well, I say, with Max Scherzer on the mound. We lost a tough one, two to one. Uh, those games are always tough, especially when you're on a roll. You don't want to lose a game like that. Uh, but that's baseball. Uh, John Sterling, our Yankee counterpart in announcing, says that's baseball. Uh, there's going to be days like that. Uh, you Mets have this hot streak going, a winning series. It's now in da danger, but that's going to end sooner or later. Uh, you have your ace on there, especially with Jacob DeGrom out, and we didn't win. Uh, you know, things like that happen. But what are you going to do? But we did get off to a good start yesterday with Max on the mound. Uh, Max came out roaring, and that was so nice to see. Uh Scherzer really looked locked in early in the outing yesterday. He retired the first nine batters he faced in order, recording just 36 pitches to get through three innings. He was on a roll. He finally allowed his first base runners in the fourth as J.P. Crawford single and put runners on the corners and later with two outs and two strikes. Jesse Winker, a great hitter, single into center, driving a run and tie the game 1-1 at that point. Now, the Met offense got to work early against lefty Marco Gonzalez with a Brandon Nimmo single and Starling Marte double to put runners on second and third with nobody out. Francisco Lindor came through with a sack fly to center, giving the Mets an early lead. Gonzalez settled in, dueling with Scherzer while keeping the Mets hitter off balance with a mix of high fastballs and low changeups. Now, with the game still tied 1-1 into the seventh, Scherzer got into a bit of a jam, allowing an infield single and a walk to put runners, two runners on with no outs. The Mariners then loaded the bases with one out after another walk, but Scherzer got a timely 5-4-3 double play to get out of the inning. That would be all for Scherzer, who went seven innings, allowing one run on three hits, striking out six, and walking two on 98 pitches. Gonzalez recorded the first two outs to seventh, but he walked Thomas Nito and allowed a bloop double to Nimmo that Julio Rodriguez slid for, but couldn't come up with in center field. Runners at second and third and two outs for met Paul Sewald, who I was always a big fan of. His pitching motion always reminded me of Tom Seaver. I don't know about you. Came into the game and struck out Marte to end the inning. Then Drew Smith came on the pitch the eighth, but he looked out of whack. He walked the first two batters he faced, miss, missing up consistently. Consistently, I should say. Ty France then singled down the first baseline, putting the Mariners up 2-1. to one. For Smith, it was his first earned run allowed this season. To his credit, he settled down and got out of the inning without any further damage. With the Mets still trailing 2-1 to one into the bottom of the ninth, J.D. Davis grounded out to end the game as the Mets went down in order. The Mets also had a pair of hard-hit balls in this game that looked like they could have been home runs. One from Jeff McNeil and one from Pete Alonso. But with the baseball simply not carrying at all this season, the result in both instances was a long flyout.
comes Rodriguez diving and he makes the catch. Taking it third is Nimmo. He'll come in with the first run of the game. Outstanding play by the 21-year-old Julio Rodriguez. But Nimmo scampers home on the sacrifice fly and it's 1-0 New York. Now the 2-2. Line, right center, base hit. That'll tie up the game. Jesse Winker back in Queens. Delivers an RBI hit and it's 1-1. with a 3-2 hook. Strikes out Crawford. Five Ks for Max in a 1-2-3 sixth inning. 2-2. Breaking ball hits sharply to Escobar. To McNeil for one. On the first double play. Side retired. The Mets turn two behind Scherzer. Neatly done by Escobar and McNeil. And they get Max out of trouble in the top of the seventh. Breaking ball hit over the bag. That's a fair ball, and the Mariners will take the lead. It's an RBI single for Ty France, and Seattle goes in front for the first time tonight. It's 2-1 to one in the eighth. 1-2 coming. Grounded on the left side. Easy hop for Suarez. Kicked at the first base by France, and the Mariners outduel the Mets. So there are some of the audio highlights from yesterday's game. Uh, like I said, just a tough one to lose, but you can't win them all. And they'll be back tomorrow with Chris Bassett, or today, I should say, with Chris Bassett on the mound. So hopefully the Mets can even up the series tonight. Uh, some unsettling news happened on the injury front for the Mets. James McCann, uh, is not going to be with us for a while. Uh, he's placed on the 10-day injured list with a fracture. And, uh... I'm not sure how you say it, Hamate, but anyway, he'll be out for a while, uh, and it's a 10-day injury list, but he'll be out for the foreseeable future. Uh, the Amazons backstop has been placed on a 10-day IL after an x-ray reveal the fracture of his left Hamate. The Mets announced that the typical recovery for this injury is six weeks. So our good old buddy from last year who came on with a bang, Patrick Mazika, was called up to give the Mets more catching depth. McCann was held out of Thursday's lineup after manager Buck Showalter designated the injury to be a sore wrist, and he was believed to be available to play during the weekend series versus the Mariners. But just to be cautious, the Mets had McCann get an X-ray on Friday evening, and that's when the fracture was revealed. I think just to be on the safe side, uh, the Mets knew what they were dealing with. It was just a precautionary thing, and it happened before. Something showed up, and I think they reached a point where you didn't see much improvement post-game. So they decided to get a picture. And this time, with with the bad news, Mazika got here. Uh, and he'll be playing once again for the Mets. Now, the Mets really don't have great hitting catchers. And let's be honest, McCann really hasn't hit the uh, world on fire with his hitting since he's been a Met. Although he has shown a little bit of improvement this year with his power and his ability to hit the ball at right field. But Thomas Nino has been fantastic defensively. So with Nito and Mazika behind the plate, I think the Mets will hang in there and, uh, you know, compensate for not having McCann. I think they'll be okay. But still, you don't want to lose a guy like McCann because he really was starting to swing the bat, and it was good to see. But it is an opportunity for Mazika now. 
but Mazika's been struggling down in the minors. He's batting 196, 266, 551 with one homer and six RBIs. Now, Thomas Nino will get to start behind the plate uh, for the Mets most of the time, and they're very familiar with Mazika. So both will probably see playing time. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you always have to be equipped for injuries, and this is really the first big Met injury besides the Grom that the Mets are going to be facing. Uh, so we'll see. One guy goes down, the other one's got to pick him up. Here's what Buck Schoenwald had to say about McCann's injury and the current situation in Mets catching. Yeah, I mean, it'd be different if, if uh, Tomas hadn't been catching any and, and, and Mazika hadn't been up here before and our pitching staff wasn't familiar with him. Um, I'm hoping that it's pretty seamless, but we'll see. Um, we look forward to getting Mac back. Uh, he's, uh, he's already had some, you know, made a big contribution out of the pitchers like throwing to him and Tomas, and I think they will Mazika also, but... Um, um, it's tough. I know that uh, I know how much Mac likes being on the club and contributing and being a part of it, but uh, it's not something. You know, we're going to see him again. And he's going to be contributing again. So the Mets will pick up their uh, chins off the ground and uh, carry on McMahon, McCann. Uh, like I said, Nito and Mazika are quality replacements, and we should be fine there. But the one thing about Buckshaw Walter and his teams are the mental outlook and the leadership. And even like I said, I've mentioned before in the podcast, uh, the leadership of guys like uh, Scherzer and Bassett and Marte and Kana uh, have been fantastic. And uh, here, here's I'm going to play you a clip of uh, what Buckshaw Walter has to say about leadership and just having the right mental outlook every day for the Mets when they go out there and that is something that they have had. So let's listen to Buck, shall we? Our, uh, our guys came with that skill set, and I think our front office and, and Billy were very uh, adamant about trying and, and other teams do too. You know, we don't have some corner on it. Uh, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but you know, you have to have a certain amount of ability to play up here. Obviously these are the best players in the world, but when you're playing a sport that you play seven days a week for seven or eight months to roll the dice in October, Things like that where you give yourself a mental or emotional day off, you know, you think you're there physically, but the, you know, the concentration level and the discipline it takes to, to play with concentration, those things shouldn't go in a slump. It's like effort shouldn't go into a slump. Oftentimes you hear people say, well, pitchers, they can't really lead in a clubhouse the way that everyday players can. But at least from the outside looking in, you observe Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, how engaged they are even on days that they're not pitching. Are those guys unique in the way that they can help set a tone for a clubhouse? Yeah, I've never really bought that. You know, I've had some great pitchers. You know, uh, David Cohn, Jimmy Key comes to mind. Uh, Kurt Schilling was a lot like that. But uh, um, I think pitchers get a bad rap of that. You know, we have not just those two, Carlos uh, Carrasco and, and uh, Walker. And, and now McGill gets exposed to that. And um, I think it's just a, a real uh, professionalism. Of uh, and knowing that on the four days they're not pitching, uh, that they have a, a chance to make a contribution, if for nothing else, just the uh, atmosphere that you create around you in the club. 
I don't know if balance is the right word, but how do you go about kind of planning and looking at the JD-Dom situation and, and how you're going to deploy each of those guys and keep them engaged? Well, I, you know, I, I certainly, uh, you think about it, but you, a lot of those things solve themselves. But uh, uh, let's face it, winning puts that in, in a good perspective right now. But uh, um, there's, as, you, as you've seen, we, we're passing it around. You know, it's, it's going to shame on us if we go reach for those guys and someone has an injury or something and we haven't given them enough playing time and you know as challenging as the season is especially with a shortened spring we try to be real diligent about uh, dh days and moving around and having a day here or there but our guys aren't coming in and asking for days and they're not at, you know they they understand the end game we're trying to get to and if we can keep our arms around that through thick and thin it'll be you know the tough one's going to be when when there's some, some bumps in the road and you know that we don't get that uh, you know it's about me mentality and I don't think this group will so there you have it there's Buck's philosophy on what's going on right now and you gotta love a leader like Buck saying the right things and not only saying the right things but he's leading the right way and that is so very pleasant to see now you gotta love the way the Mets are playing in baseball this year especially with the way they are hacking the game uh, old school baseball and that is so pleasant to see. Uh, they're playing the brand of baseball in 2022 that makes them as lovable as they are successful so far. And the fans are really feeding off of this. But anyone who thinks the sport got out of whack in recent years by prioritizing power to such a point that record-breaking strikeout totals were seemingly deemed acceptable. Now, nobody hated that notion more than Buckshaw Walter, even when he wasn't managing in recent years. So maybe it shouldn't be surprised that these Mets are the definition of scrappy offensively. If they're all pitching and defense aside, they're winning games by putting the ball in play more than most teams, especially with two strikes and or two outs, even if it means choking up on the bat or slapping the ball to the opposite field to beat an infield shift. Now consider the fact that their total of 54 infield hits was the most of any team in baseball by a whopping margin of 19 as of Friday. That speaks to their ability and their additional speed this season, but also their desire to simply make contact. Uh, Billy Ripken on MLB Network even says he appreciates the Mets right now. He, he thinks it's a mindset and it's paying off for them. I think major league hitters are good enough for the most part not to strike out if they set their mind to it. But I do think Billy's right in the fact that sometimes players just accept striking out like it's nothing anymore. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but baseball's basically gone through a phase where guys were going to the plate swinging for the homers, and it was okay to strike out. Now, I'm not sure where that mindset came from, but the Mets are showing an improvement on that when they're going into the batter's box, taking pitches, extending the at-bats, and battling, and that's good to see. Now, especially in RBI situations, the Mets have thrived this season, and in the past, they really have not. And they've been making contact when it counts. So that is good because you throw all the techniques out and dig down deep and compete when you need that big hit. And they have been able to make contact and get the hit without trying for a home run every time. It might be ugly. And ugly knocks with two outs and runners in scoring position are a beautiful thing. If you're a, pa- a fan of baseball like I am, you love to see that hit. Uh, that knocks in the big run with two outs. That's what wins ball games. Now, 
perfect example of that is Mark Hanna's uh, soft single over shortstop with the bases loaded with two outs in the first inning of Thursday's four-win win over the Nationals. He managed to pull his hands in on an inside fastball and muscle it for a, a single for a 2 nothing lead, and that's the way you want to hit. It only measured 73 miles per hour in exit velocity and was much a testament to Kanha being aware of the rookie pitcher's uh, two-seamer that night, Juan Adan, and would run up in the plate as it was a bit of good fortune. It was somewhat typical of how the Mets have hit this season. That is their hard hit rate as measured by MLB Statcase. I know everybody's in love with the hard hit rate, but you still got to hit the ball at the right time at the right spot. And the Mets only ranked 27th out of 30 teams going into Friday's play. Now that seems rather stunning for a team that ranks 5th in the majors in runs scored, but it should be considered evidence that perhaps the Mets' production isn't sustainable for 162 games. We shall see. Have they been lucky? We shall see. But I do like the way the Mets are hitting the ball. Now, everyone's in love with hard hits. I get it. And everything measured as anything over 95 mile per hour in exit velocity is a hard hit. And statistics and statisticians and baseball experts in general are saying that at 95 miles plus per hour, you're going to hit 500 and slug in the 800s or higher. If you don't hit the ball hard at 94 miles per hour or lower, you're going to hit and slug in the 200s. So there is a focus on these numbers. But I say there's always leeway. There's always a caveat where you can uh, just get the hit at the right time. And like I said, the Mets have been placing balls and plays very well and not finding gloves, and that's a skill in itself. And the reason for that is it's working, and they're making a lot of contact. But, and I tend to agree with the experts, the number one way to succeed at the play is to hit the ball hard. That's why you start to worry, is it sustainable? We shall see. Uh, but I still like the fact that the Mets are professional when they're up at the plate in these key situations and getting the key hit. And you also have to remember the Mets have team speed, and uh, that changes the whole offensive outlook too. And those factors can offset the hard hit percentage to some degree. Now, when Marte beat out that ground ball short to start the ninth inning rally in Philly, it's somewhat of an example of what speed can do for an offense stealing bases, infield singles. It felt like those things were missing from Mets teams the last few years. And that's another thing that isn't part of hitting the ball hard, but speaks as an offensive firing on all cylinders. That's why I myself am not passing judgment on the Mets. They're a good team, let's face it. It's just a question of whether or not they're going to be able to score the way they have without hitting the ball hard. But I also think that it's the approach to the plate that's helping. Uh... Like even Jeff McNeil said, he said, I don't care if I hit it 40 miles per hour, if I hit it the other way to beat a shift. I like that attitude, and I think it's become contagious. If you see guys grounding out to make contact, you don't want to be the guy who flails at a pitch three times and walks back to the dugout. Both Ripken and SNY analyst Todd Zeal also make the point that even as strikeouts around the league have risen dramatically, championship Teams like the Royals in 15, Astros in 17, Red Sox in 18 were all among the best teams in baseball those seasons and not striking out. Zio even said, I think the hard hit rate matters, but striking out less matters as well. Putting the ball in play matters a lot. 
So I wouldn't say it's sustainable for all teams, but I think it is sustainable for the Mets because they're built for success and great starting pitching, a solid bullpen, and good defense. They're not trying to lead the league in home runs or runs scored necessarily. Uh, their contact style, because they got guys at different spots in the lineup like Nimmo, McNeil, Canha, who have ability to lengthen at bats, put the ball on the ground against the shift, and use some speed to put pressure on defense. A lot of times is what the doctor orders. If you have a guy doing that in a lineup of feast and famine guys, it doesn't work. But this is a balanced lineup, and that's why it's working. And I think it's a formula that can continue for this team. It remains to be seen just how significant the low hard rate proves to be. But for now, there's one thing everyone seems to agree on, from purists to uh, skeptics, is that the Mets are doing well when they have to do well. It's refreshing to watch a team that prioritizes putting the ball in play over everything else. Now, the one thing we've noticed is the ball really is not carrying, so home runs aren't as big a factor as they once were this year. And although the Mets had a quiet bat last night, uh, the team had a couple of hard-hit balls that looked like potential home runs off the bat and only fall harmlessly as outs. Leading off the bomb in the seventh inning, McNeil slammed the Marco Gonzalez pitch 95.4 miles per hour. There's your exit velocity. And he hit a 360-foot fly out to right that sounded like a homer off the bat. McNeil was visibly upset as the ball landed in Steven Souza Jr.'s glove for the out. Then in the eighth, Pete Alonso demolished a Paul Seawall pitch to center field. The ball came off the bat at 103.4 miles per hour with a 32-degree launch angle. According to baseball savant, Alonzo's ball had an expected batting average of 750, but instead of soaring out of the park, it was just another out. Now, it's no secret that players have had issues with the baseballs this season, both in terms of grip and carry, and Friday was just another example of the balls not carrying the way they have in the past. Normally, Buck Walter responded when asked if he thought Alonzo's ball would carry out. I think you guys know I'm not going to start getting into all the things that are going on over all baseball. The numbers are what they are. What normally exit velocity dictates, it's the same for both teams. I think it's pretty obvious that it's been a challenge all around in baseball. Now, we're playing with the same baseballs that every team does, Walter said. Whatever's going on, we want our share of games the way it is. Now, Alonzo was asked about... His long loud out after the game explained that he thought he had hit it as well off the bat. So he did his job, but it just didn't work out. Now here's what Buck Showalter had to say about dead balls this year. velocities dictate you know it's the same for both teams so I think it's pretty obvious that uh, you know that it's been a challenge all around baseball so you know we're, we're playing with uh, the same same baseballs from team to team so whatever I, I'm not that doesn't really uh, you know whatever's going on we've won our share of games the way it is so a two well-pitched game. I think what goes, and I know it doesn't with, with you guys, but Max was really good tonight. And uh, especially that last inning, he uh, he just competes. It's fun to watch. And uh, glad he's on our side. I haven't talked to him yet. I don't do a whole lot of 
conversation with Max during the game, unless he wants to. Uh, no, he, he didn't say anything. I, I think there were some other things going on. When he, when he goes in, he's either going to throw it for a striker or get it in there, and I probably just ran on a little bit more than usual. Obviously, he's not trying to hit anybody, but... Um, no, when Max goes in there, he goes in there with drive, with the idea of getting it, you know, deep in there. And sometimes the guys can't get out of the way; they get hit. Duffing on the one and hit the batter and hit Tomas. I've seen a lot of injuries like that with catchers because you kind of relax, seeing a ball in there, and it deflects off the catcher. Off of contact and in sound, absolutely. I thought thought it had uh, had what it took uh, to go over the wall, but just just didn't, unfortunately. And I mean, is whether it's the ball or bad conditions. I mean, it is what it is. Outs and out. I mean, tagged it pretty good on contact. It felt excellent. Um, and for me, I thought that should go over the wall. But I mean, again, conditions pretty unfavorable tonight. Pretty bad. Uh, bad night. I mean, a lot of fog out. I mean, it's raining. So a lot of. I mean, yeah, just pretty much not a good night to uh, hit the ball over the wall. And every once in a while, it's better to. Hit the ball on the ground, but I mean, did my job. Hit the ball hard, just didn't go for me. So there you have it, uh, Showalter and Pete Alonso basically recapping uh, the night. Alonso's long ball dying, Scherzer's effort, and Buck just basically summarizing what's going on with the dead ball this year. So that's gonna. Wrap up our summary of the Met game today, uh, of last night. Uh, again, we take them on again tonight. It's 7.05. We got Chris Bassett going on the mound. Chris Bassett has a 4-2 record with a 2.49 ERA. And he's going against the heralded rookie, George Kirby, from the Seattle Mariners. A lot of eyes are looking on George Kirby. He's a big prospect in Major League Baseball. So we'll see what happens tonight, and hopefully the Mets can bring back a W. Now let's talk about what's going on elsewhere in Metland. As we always do, we like to do our shameless plug for our Facebook group, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. Uh, to me, it is the best Met baseball group there is there on Facebook. So if you're not a member, please do join. Great content, great people. We talk serious Mets. Not a, that usual crap that appears on Facebook. We talk Met Baseball, and that's the only type of people we want in that group. So check it out. If you're a diehard Met fan, please do join. If you're not a subscriber to this podcast, by all means, please do subscribe. We'd love to have you a subscriber. That way you're ordered every time a new podcast is up, and we do one every day. And if you ever need to reach me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Shoot me a line with any suggestions, comments, whatever. Eventually, uh, as this podcast progresses, we'll going to have guests on the on the podcast and you could be one of them so if you feel like you want to be on the podcast please do let me know uh shoot me a line and now as we always do we're going to celebrate met birthdays on this date and who's ready to celebrate get out those party hats on this date which is may 14th happy may 14th everybody dick tidrow was born in 1947 old dirt yeah, he's more famous for being the Yankees, and I guess with the Indians, he got off to a great career start. He was born this day in 1947, but he was a Met. Dave LaRoche. Remember Dave LaRoche and Lalab? Sort of like an Ephus pitch. He was a Met at one time, and he was born in 1948. 
Current coach Joey Cora was born in 1965. Takahashi Kashiwara, say that 10 times real fast. Former Met pitcher was born this date in 1971. And Brian Lawrence was born this date in 1976. Now on the transaction front, the Mets purchased Jerry May from the Kansas City Royals on May 14, 1973. And they signed free agent Seth Landrum on this date in 1993. So there's your birthdays and transactions for this date. And now, as we always do, we're going to go ahead and look at today's Met Jeopardy and trivia questions of the day. Who's ready for that? I know I am. I hope you are. What do you want to start with first, the trivia? Okay, you got it, folks. That's the beautiful thing about this podcast. We do it as one. Whatever you guys want to do, that's what we do. Today's trivia question is, who had 18 homers and 63 RBIs for the Mets during the 2004 season? Lock in your answers. And we're going to repeat yesterday's Met Jeopardy question again. Uh, for those of you who missed it, so we're, here's the two clues. Signed with the New York Mets as a free agent on April 27, 1965, and had a record of 298 wins and 302 losses at Met Manager, which included the 1973 postseason. So lock in your answer on that one. We didn't have a Jeopardy yesterday on the site. It was an error on my part. But we'll be back better than ever with Jeopardy today. So there you go. Those are your two clues. So we'll lock them in, and we'll be back to give you the answers at the end of the podcast. Now, what's going on in the group? As always, good stuff, good stuff. And again, I want to thank everybody for participating in the group. It means the world to me. Uh, you guys are rocking it, baby. You guys are rocking it. Uh, we had some great photos. You just got to check out the site once in a while. Just see all the great photos. We had Felix Mion choking up on the bat circa 1976. We had a picture of Tom Seaver pitching at Forbes Field in 1969. We had Lou Brock batting against the Mets in spring training. Remember when the Mets used to train in St. Petersburg? We got a picture of that in 1968. We got a profile picture of Dave Parking Lot Kingman, as I like to call him. And we go through George Theodore. Yes, we mentioned the stork and what he's done for the Mets. And as always, you got to check this guy out. Uh, oh, we forgot to mention that Kumar Rocker, a former Vanderbilt star who did not sign with the Mets after they chose him in the first round last year, has signed with the Tri-City Valley Cats of the Frontier League. He'll pitch there before the MLB draft, where he's eligible to be selected again. And as always, our good friend, our good buddy, Mike Freed, with some solid commentary on yesterday's game. So check it all out. Very good stuff every day in the group. And now we're ready to reveal the answers. To reveal the answers are, for Jeopardy, signed with the Mets as a free agent on April 27, 1965, and had a record of 298 wins and 302 losses at event manager, which included this 1973 postseason. The correct answer is, who is Yogi Berra? Congrats to our good buddy John Tierney on being the first to submit the correct answer on that. And the trivia question was... Who had 18 homers and 63 RBIs for the Mets during the 2004 MLB season? Well, the correct answer to that one is, who was Cliff Floyd? 
Congrats once again to John Tierney on being the first to get the correct answer on that one. Good job. John got them both today. And hopefully you got them at home listening. Uh, you guys are very intelligent. I know a lot of you probably got them. I know what you're going to get. You're going to get another great Met win today, I think. Chris Bassett on the mound. It should be a good one. And we'll be back tomorrow to talk all about it tomorrow. So once again, thanks for listening. The fact that you guys listen means the world to me. And I love doing these. And from what I'm getting from the feedback, you guys love them as much listening to them as I love doing them. So enjoy your day. Enjoy your weekend. And let's go Mets.